0: For years, we all thought that Russian President Vladimir Putin was a master of military and foreign affairs strategy. But things look pretty different now, don't they, Jay?
1: They sure do, Tom. And it's uh, so exciting to have a friend back on the show who knows uh, more about Russia and Ukraine, is really expert in this. And I'm so excited about uh, hearing his answers. We've We've had uh, Rich Kozlovich on our show before. In fact, we've only had a few people on more than once. And I think this is the third time we've had Rich on. And it's because he uh, is such an expert at so many things. He reads everything. He studies everything and uh, knows an awful lot more about this subject than either of I. So I'm really excited to get going. So tell our audience again just who Rich is. And other than I'll just say, He's a a resident genius that's been on the show a number of times.
0: Well, our guest this week for the third time in the past year, which is the first time we've had a guest on three times, is Cleveland-based Rich Kozlovich, who runs the blog Paradigms and Demographics, which you can see on the web at paradigmsanddemographics.blogspot.com. And I'll put that under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. As I said before, this is the first time we've had a guest on three times, and I think people will see why. In his writings and in, his, in this interview, Rich looks behind the curtain to see what's really happening with Vladimir Putin and his disastrous decision to invade the Ukraine. So welcome back to the show, Rich. Well, thank you. I,
2: I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed by that introduction. I'm really flattered. I,
1: well, I hope I'm deserving uh, of it. You need not be embarrassed. Uh, I've been working with you for over three years, and uh, you've never uh, failed to amaze me with the depth of your knowledge and so many things that uh, I'm a little shallow in. So, right now, I want to talk about an essay you wrote Question Putin's Intelligence where for a long time folks thought him a very a bright fellow, a chess master, and and so on. Uh, explain what finally showed you that he's not the smart guy we once thought him to be.
2: Well, he's not a dumb guy, okay? he's But he's clever. Uh, and there's a difference between smart and clever. The reality is he hasn't really had to be all that smart all these years. It didn't hit me. I I certainly didn't pick up on it until this all happened. And I read Bill Browder's book, Red Notice. And I realized he didn't have to play chess because all these world leaders were catering to him. You know, if if you're playing uh, with people that aren't, uh, aren't challenging you, you don't have to be the brightest pebble in the brook to really look like you're accomplishing something. And that's what it really came down to. None of that changed until Trump became president. And then all of a sudden, he had to play, really had to play chess. And quite frankly, compared to Trump, he was found wanting. Is
1: there any truth to the rumor that he is ill? I've I've read it a number of times, although I must say not in the last couple of weeks. Do you know anything about that?
2: You know what? I've been asked that on more than one occasion. And uh, i As you know, I belong to uh, an eclectic email group, and that came up in discussion. And my view is it's an enormous speculative waste of time trying to figure that out. Uh, He's an extremely secretive guy. He travels with a medical, of all things, he travels with a medical staff. Now, a lot, I think a lot of this is all because of There's a lot of young Russian leaders who would really, really like to see him have some serious health problems, who would like to take over. And quite frankly, if something really bad happened to him, they would probably let him lay there and die the way Khrushchev and his crew did with Stalin. Quite frankly, if he was out of the picture, I really think this whole problem would go away. But I think it's all speculative. I think it's people in the media that have nothing else to do and they have to fill out their obligations to write articles. And so they throw all the speculation out there and there may be truth to it. But quite frankly, when there's so many other really important things to look at about involving Putin, I think it's I think it's just a waste of time. Well, that's great because
1: we're going to get into those
2: other things. And you alluded
1: to the fact that Trump was a better chess player and a smarter guy. Than uh, Putin, it appears that Obama, Clinton, and Kerry all dealt with Putin as the evil idiots I think them to be. How would you describe the years they dealt with Putin in terms of the, the battle between Russia and the United States?
2: Well, for years, I had, uh, I, as I posted articles on my blog, I used to make comments and saying, it's clear Putin is playing chess while Obama's playing tiddlywinks. That was completely wrong. Neither was playing chess nor tiddlywinks. They were playing patty cake. The whole thing was that this, this, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy, but it was an understanding. They didn't want to give Putin a bad time. They didn't want to make him look bad. They didn't want to inconvenience. It was the great reset. Remember having Hillary with her button called the great reset button? Obama, Hillary, and Kerry, Kerry were all part of that intellectual compact. And the reality is, once again, when you're dealing with people that aren't really challenging you, you don't have to play checkers or you don't have to play chess. You don't have to be the brightest pebble in the book when you're dealing with people like that. And that's what it really came down to. All of this has become, a, for, certainly for me, has become a real eye-opener into Putin's intellectual capabilities. Not trusting Obama and Kerry and, and Hillary and understanding their corruption was easy. Not understanding that relationship with Putin is now only coming to light, at least from my, from my point of view.
0: I read an article in which they were talking on and on about Putin's supposed health troubles, and they showed a video which supposedly demonstrated it, but I didn't see it. I mean, they said, oh, look, yeah. his, his, knee, his knee bent. So he must be suffering Parkinson's disease. Then everybody must think I have Parkinson's disease when they watch me give a presentation. Because yeah, I'll put my knees around. Like I I think you're right. It's blown up.
2: He's almost 70 years old. And quite frankly, up until just recently, no one ever questioned his physical capabilities because he's quite a bit to show off. He's bound to have some difficulties as he grows older because that's the nature of things. But I think that's being way overplayed.
1: Yeah, I agree. In in one of your essays, you mentioned that his former work as a KBG agent has colored his management of the entire nation of Russia. Could you explain that? I certainly myself do not understand what that created for him as a philosophy of management.
2: When it all fell apart, he ended up be, as a lieutenant colonel in the KGB. Now the KGB is a was a brutal organization, and the I think it's the FSB. I'm, That's not maybe accurate, but it's the whatever it became, he was part of that. They are brutal. They don't really play by the rules. They killed people. They uh, extorted people. The corruption was staggering. You do not rise within the ranks of an organization like that unless you meet certain criteria. And the moral foundation for that criteria is seriously wanting. The fact of the matter is, as you go back looking at his history, he had uh, an interesting uh, childhood and he he fell into all of this. And I think it's uh, indicative of all the things that he has done then. That amoral, brutal mentality was carried over in his power struggle. He went from a lieutenant colonel in the KGB to a president, then to a dictator, and now he's the czar. And that doesn't happen with a guy, a a nice guy. The reality is, is he has done a lot of, you know, these oligarchs that are just coincidentally dying all over the world. He wasn't part of that. That's hard to believe. In his process of gaining power, a lot of people cease to exist. The reality is it's that brutal KGB mentality that is foundational to his willingness to do whatever it takes to get, get and hold power. As we talk about this, I'll bring a little more into focus what I think about that at any rate, but that's, that's the, uh, I think his KGB background is foundational to everything he's done.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, in the book, Red Notice that you reviewed, the author says that his lawyer was literally tortured to death yes. by the Putin government. And would you think Putin would have known about that?
2: Oh, Absolutely. That would not have happened without his, without his knowledge, because the relationship the author had with the Russian hierarchy was really great until all of a sudden it started because uh, he was exposing all the corruption of the oligarchs. And Putin never said a thing. He thought Putin was all in favor of that. And it shocked him when he found out Putin was all in favor of that until he started exposing the oligarchs that Putin wanted protected. And that's when it all fell apart. And that's when the brutality came in. And uh, they literally beat him to death, violating all their laws. In fact, at one point, he had one of the oligarchs told him uh, what they were going to do. And he says, you're trying, what you're doing is you're violating the law and you're going to steal my business. He goes, yes. And he thought that was just fine. And that's the kind of thing that went on with the oligarchs. The ones who survived were the ones who capitulated to uh, Putin. They went and groveled, gave him huge chunks of their businesses, making him a phenomenally wealthy man. But the thing to remember, and this is will come up later probably, is these were not people that were all big Putin fans. These were people that were acting within their own self-interest. Do they have loyalty to Putin or do they have loyalty to their wealth and self-interest? These are not the kind of people that you want to turn to when you're in deep trouble because they will turn on you.
0: Mm-hmm. And Putin is one of the wealthiest people in the world now, isn't he?
2: Yes. Yes, he is. And it's because of that. These oligarchs learned at some point there was only going to be one voice in Russia, and that was going to be his. He is, he became a modern Joe Stalin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Why did he go to war? Everybody was shocked, including me. I really thought he was too smart to do this. They did two wars with Chechnya under uh, Boris Yeltsin, they go, oh, we're Russia, we'll swamp them. Well, it didn't work. Uh, They did what Ukraine is doing now. But they had a second one, and Putin was in charge of that. And he went in, and he did it more slowly, more cleverly, and he destroyed their cities, and he ultimately won. The difference was, is Chechnya didn't have anybody nearby that could supply them with equipment. But nobody, and at least I didn't think that he was going to invade Ukraine. why in the world would you broadcast to somebody you're going to attack that you're going to attack them? And that's what he was doing. And I thought it was all Maskarovka, where it's this false uh, masquerade in order to get uh, concessions. And truthfully, if he had have just stuck to, east, to the eastern Ukraine, he probably could have got away with it because the, the eastern Ukrainians are actually very pro-Russian. So that might have worked. But to actually have an all-light invasion... I thought he was way too smart for that. And quite uh, frankly, uh, that shocked everybody. But you you realize there were three things that he wanted. He wanted their energy. He wanted their grain production capabilities because the Ukraine is one of the great breadbaskets of Europe. Lastly, he wanted the population. The ethnic Russian population is shrinking, just like much of Western Europe. and It's estimated by 2040 uh, if the... uh, at current rates of growth, ethnic Russians would be a minority in their own country. But Ukraine was having the same problem. And now it's even worse because so many have fled to other Europe. I'm going to break out in hives saying this. There is an upside to this is now okay. these, these people that uh, went to Poland and Austria and all these other the Ukrainians, they're an industrious, hardworking people that's now going to enrich those populations if they don't go back to Ukraine. But that all depends on what happens within the next few months. Now you've explained why they
1: went to war and why they wanted Ukraine. I think a lot of people have been confused about that, what the value of Ukraine was to Russia. And you've explained that very well. Now, how would you describe the attitude of Russian uh, people toward uh, Putin? I remember very well World War II. uh, Initially, Italians like Mussolini because he made the trains run on time. Is that similar here? We know Russians who left recently. We actually know one that just recently returned to Russia, and they don't seem to have a super negative view of them. What could you tell us about where his popularity is now with his own people?
2: In the beginning of this, he was very popular. The Russians are a very nationalistic people. And quite frankly, the, the Russians' tolerance for incredibly nasty leaders is staggering. I mean, it's, that's, been, that's been their history forever. It seems to be turning. I read an article just recently where we're seeing a replay of what's happening, what happened with Russian mothers in Chechnya, where they banged on the doors of Russian leaders demanding where are their sons, what's going on. And apparently that's happening now. And uh, the Russians love their kids. And this has become a a big thing. And they're looking around. They were very supportive. They thought everything was uh, going to go quickly. They thought Putin was was doing a good thing. And now they're not sure because now they're coming back with these, these troops are coming back with horror stories. It's destroying their economy. It's killing their children. I think that's that is changing and i think it's going to continue to change and the other part about it is any polls you see taken out of russia about support for putin i don't i haven't believed in polls in america for over 25 years i don't believe on any poll that comes out of russia describe for us the
1: russian economy i have to feel that the war is putting a heck of a load on that economy uh, they're having to essentially use all their resources to fight the war. And in my view, except for the fact they have a lot of energy and they're making most of their money from sending natural gas to Europe, that they're approaching being a third world economy. How would you describe their economy for our listeners?
2: Compared to even Western Europe economy, they don't have an economy. It's based on energy and agriculture and that's pretty much it and people have asked me about that and i says can you name one product that everybody in the world wants that is made in russia vodka (laughs) now and i'm not talking about these uh um these uh, uh, governments like India and whoever it might be that are buying Russian military equipment. And quite frankly, it's not all that great. Uh, I used to always read articles about how great that they wasn't pretty, but it worked really, really well. Well, the Iraq war showed that wasn't true. remember that Russian aircraft carrier that Putin sent down through the English Channel that uh, I, I guess he thought he was going to intimidate somebody. And then it caught on fire and they had to have a tugboat come and tow it away well, that's not inconsistent with a lot of Russian technology. The reason why is it's not a capital generating nation, it's not a nation that inspires great innovation. It's a central planning system. And as a result, you have all the problems that go along with it. It isn't going to change just because it isn't Stalin doing it. And Putin, it, just, it has gotten somewhat better because there's been more openness to the West. But the reality is it's not a natural capital generating country in spite of enormous natural resources, a very intelligent population, extremely hardworking population. But they live in a society where that's stifled. Uh, all toward the central planning systems. This whole thing, uh, no matter what anybody tells you, is uh, all these things are going to come back to haunt him. But the rest of the world is playing a, a very uh, tightrope kind of game uh, dealing with them because they need their gas, they need their energy, they need their food. Uh, some of them need their, like India. They have not taken a position favorable with the United States on this. They've, they've taken a neutral position. And the reason why is they've actually had a pretty good relationship with Russia over all these years. One, two, they're getting their military equipment from Russia and they view and this is something that probably we ought to talk about it some of the time. They know who the real enemy is, and that's China. Mm-hmm. And they need all of that so that they're uh, able to defend themselves against China. No matter what kind of relationship China and Russia have, the relationship between India and China is difficult. Now there are those who says because they didn't support the United States, the Quad is over. Now the Quad is India, United States, Australia, Australia, and Japan, uh, creating a a defensive system against China. No, that's not going to happen. There's that's a separate issue entirely. India's taken a position that's necessary, but that doesn't mean they don't recognize who the real enemy is and the real enemy is China.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I was in the Canadian Air Force, I was my office was right beside the DND library and I read a lot about Soviet Union military capabilities and in those days we thought they were pretty good. I mean, they were the first to have cruise missiles. They had more cruise missiles than we did. They were the first to develop Star Wars and actually develop the um, space fighter. They had a third-scale model. They flew in space. But it sounds like things are, are very different now. Do you think that in those days they really represented the threat that we thought they did, or were we exaggerating then, too?
2: Actually, they didn't. I, I just I read a book uh, I, I, about Khrushchev, and... We all thought, those of us who are old enough to remember him banging his shoe on the table in the UN, all considered Khrushchev a international clown. Actually, he was quite bright. It was a, a case of Maskarovka, a masquerade. They had the world, including the CIA, believing they had all this massive technology and weaponry. One of the few who realized that they didn't was, believe it or not, Dwight D. Eisenhower but he didn't dare say too much because all it would do is they would rip him apart in the press and on the Senate floor. So uh, most of that is, was not true. They did have some advances. It can't be denied, but compared to what the United States was capable of, it was nowhere near now as they've gone on through the years is the, they've developed hypersonic missiles and whatnot. But I, I told somebody recently, I says, if he has it, and I'm going to, I'm going to assume that he does is advanced technology is enormously expensive to develop it is unendingly expensive to maintain mm-hmm. they don't have the finances for that If that and if you're going to have another they're threatening to drop a bomb on Ukraine here's what it comes down to if you have one atomic bomb and your neighbors have 10 atomic bombs are you going to drop your one atomic bomb no not likely <laughs> So, uh, you know, whatever he may have, he, there are serious uh, structural limitations to the use of that. Uh, they don't have the manpower that that all too important 50 to 50 age group is uh, has some serious problems with drugs, AIDS, uh, a drug resistant uh, TB and their population is shrinking. He's now used up his frontline best troops. They're, they were getting wiped out. His equipment is being destroyed. Now, does he have a lot more troops? Not like you think. And that's why they would, otherwise they wouldn't be bringing in uh, foreigners to uh, bolster up their army. The other side of it is, does the Ukraine have the manpower? And the answer to that is probably no. The question is how much will Europe support them? And apparently today, uh, the European powers are having a, a meeting to decide uh, how much military hardware they're going to give to the Ukraine, Biden gave them forty billion dollars, which I think is interesting because there's no oversight for that forty billion dollars. It's forty billion dollars we don't have, and apparently already they're selling uh, the Ukraine. You know, <laughs> I'm getting off track a little bit, but I got to say this: there's no good. There's no good guys in this story. Mm-hmm. The Ukraine government was one of the most corrupt governments on the planet. They were just as corrupt as the Russians were. Mm-hmm. So there's no real heroes. Uh, this uh, Ukrainian president only became a hero because he actually had the guts to stay there and fight them. But you, let's look at their com- government before that. It was stunningly corrupt. And now we gave them all this money. And apparently a lot of this weaponry is turning up on the black market. <laughs> you know, it's and there's no, there's no real good guys. And my And someone wrote an article and said, Okay, so now we defend Ukraine and they win. And now we install one of the most corrupt, reinstall one of the most corrupt governments on the planet. I mean, you got to
0: see the irony. Yeah, I was reading that, in fact, the current president has imprisoned the opposition leaders after the election and they've had journalists assassinated who disagreed with the government. Is that true or do you think that's exaggerated?
2: I, I don't know. I haven't read that. I haven't heard that. Mm -hmm. I want to jump back to
1: the economy. uh, But first, a little bit tongue in cheek. I want to correct Tom when uh, you asked the question, what is it that they really have to sell to everybody? Tom immediately said vodka. Well, it turns out we're making a lot of vodka in the United States. And the most popular vodka in central Ohio, where I live, is (laughs) Buckeye Vodka. <laughs> and uh, so we're uh, we're battling russia at uh, at that level and it's very exciting the question i really want to ask is there any hope for the russian economy is there any path to being a serious country
2: again if they manage to uh, dump their central planning concepts and allow for private ownership of property private ownership of land then, then yes, uh, Russia has, has tremendous resources, uh, an excellent, hardworking population. But when you take away the very foundation for economic growth, which is private ownership, it makes it very difficult. And I will guarantee you the Russian hierarchy is not going to allow that to happen. They will never give up that power over the common people. So as time goes by, I don't expect their economy to grow without outside support. When Lenin said that the Western powers would sell us the rope that we'll hang them with, he knew exactly what he was talking about. And that's why it's all gotten into the situation right now, refusing to see things as they really are. My personal motto is omnibus dubitandum. Everything is to be questioned and i start out with the uh, with the, with the premise that nothing is ever as it appears you have to dig into it if you really want to see what's going on well if i can understand that why can't these world leaders understand that they don't want to understand that that's not part of where they're coming from that's not part of what they want to do and it's all this the world is filled with go along get along guys who, uh, who who are called leaders, and the reality is they're not leaders; they're just managers who manage the direction everybody has decided to go. And yeah. that's 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 the sad sad. The real leaders are people that stand up and say, "You're all wrong," and I'm going to tell you why. And the first thing they do is they want them shot. Huh, yeah. Just before we go
0: to break, you know, one thing that I've always wondered about is how seriously should we take the nuclear threats that we're hearing, the saber rattling out of some of the top Russians right now. I mean, they are, after all, a very prominent nuclear power.
2: Well, that's the only reason anyone's afraid of them to tell you the truth now uh, as we get into talking about this more. but uh, I, I, and if before this, I would have said that's just nonsense. They're never going to do that. But Putin has become so irrational, I'm not quite sure anymore. Uh, I think it has to be. This is one of those things where it's an unlikely scenario, but it's one I think people have to take seriously. It doesn't bother me in the least because the one thing
1: I'm sure Putin does not want, and that's to be dead. And he and and really the oligarchs are smart enough to know that uh, to actually use a nuclear weapon uh, gets them all dead. And uh, that idea is backed up by the fact that you earlier said that Putin is one of the richest people in the world. Yeah. I don't think you accumulate money as he has for year after year without wanting someday to enjoy it. And I'm quite confident in my view, we'll talk about your view later, uh, he's going to end up sitting in a lawn chair by the side of a swimming pool drinking fruit food drinks in saudi arabia <laughs> when it's all over
0: <laughs> Jeez, so he's very different to castro who was quite prepared to have a nuclear war breakout even if it destroyed his country he hated the u.s so much absolutely he, he, he
2: begged he begged the russians to launch most people still don't know is the n- nuclear warheads were already there and he actually begged the Russians to launch, but he also wanted he and his cohorts to be hidden in, a, uh, in their, uh, their fallout shelters, too, while that was going on. Uh, yeah, I, that has boggled my mind for years, uh, that uh, uh, he would actually uh, promote that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. If people are in Dallas, Texas... They should go into the museum that's set up where Lee Harvey Oswald actually shot Kennedy. It's a very sad museum, but at the same time, it has letters between the three of them, Khrushchev, Kennedy, and Castro. And at the beginning, Khrushchev and Kennedy were back and forth fairly aggressively, but in the background, Castro was telling the Russians, launch the missiles, destroy the great Satan, and that sort of thing. Eventually, Khrushchev and Kennedy actually calmed down, but Castro never did. He
2: constantly no. wanted those missiles launched. Oh, he would have done it. At one point, they wanted to set up plans to set all these bombs off on Thanksgiving parade, okay. killing all these women and children. I mean, this these people were uh, un, uh, absolutely unbelievable. And to have all these uh, media types and politicians lauding Castro as uh, this great and wonderful person is, is, is it's clear. I posted a thing on my blog today that it's clear these people that love these communists have never read a history book.
0: Yeah, and they haven't visited that museum. I, I really encourage people to do it. They have the area where Oswald shot the gun glassed off because they don't want any copycat type things. Yeah. But that's, it's a very encouraging museum to see them, you know, celebrating Kennedy's life. So yeah. we better take a break now. We'll be back with Cleveland-based Rich Kozlovich, who's the blog author for Paradigms and Demographics. We'll be right back after the break. There are microbes in the air and they're in your house and the Genesis Fogger is the solution. This is a mobile fogger that uses a unique technology to give a non-toxic dry mist to cleanse the air and cleanse your rooms of microbes, whether they be bacterial, fungal, or viral, including SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. So go to the Genesis Fogger website and use the promo code OUTLOUD for a discount on your purchase of the model and get going with a cleaner house as there could be more microbes on the way. We're concerned about not only the current pandemic, but future ones. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America at Loud Talk Radio.
2: Visit GenesisFogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next.
1: While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix Rx, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix Rx. America Out Loud beats to the
0: pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. So we're back with Cleveland-based Rich Kozlovich, who runs the blog Paradigms and Demographics. Rich is an expert on what's happening with Vladimir Putin and his disastrous decision to invade the Ukraine. So, you know, Rich, I hear from various media sources that there were a lot of Russians who were arrested for protesting against the invasion of the Ukraine. What do you think is going to happen to those people?
2: When you get arrested by the Russian police, good things do not happen to you. Now, later on, that may change, but these people are going to suffer in some way, shape, or form. Some of them may even be shot. Historically speaking, if you get arrested by the Russian police, you've got to assume it's going to be ugly. But I also believe that we're going to start seeing more of this kind of a thing. It will get to the point where you might see them opening fire on the crowds. I am inclined to believe that we're going to see more public demonstrations about this. They've destroyed your economy. They're not able to fund their pension plans for their retired people now. One of my rules is everything is the basics. Okay, when you disrupt the basic needs of a society, uh, governments start to have problems. It's a Machiavellian principle. Machiavelli noted there were two groups of people in the world, the privileged and the masses. The privileged, all they want are to maintain their privileges, and the masses, all they want is security. You know, they want to be able to have three, three hots in a cot. They want to have be able to. They want to feed themselves and their families. They want to clothe them. They want to house them. And as long as they have that, you, it's shocking how much you can get them to go along with. But mm-hmm. when that disappears, things change. Uh, years ago, I had read where uh, we read all these stories about how the revolution, uh, Russian revolution, took place but it still comes back to the basics what really all this discontent all the losses from world war 1 all the corruption all these things uh, upset the russians but what triggered the the revolt was they ran out of kerosene in the middle of winter and they couldn't mm-hmm. heat their homes and it wasn't it wasn't the communists that were leading this this thing was spontaneous and then they jumped in and they realized that they better get on ahead of this or it's going to take off without them but it's mm-hmm. the basics When the basics are violated, that's when governments have serious problems.
0: These Russians who, you know, many of them young women, actually, who were involved in the protests, they're actually heroes, aren't they?
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. To have done it as early as they did was was really, really gutsy. And any time in Russian uh, Russian history, public protests were gutsy. It's really gutsy right now.
1: We've been hearing, or let's say Putin told people that one of the reasons he invaded Ukraine was to stop them from joining NATO. Now, recently, uh, Finland and one other country outside of uh, the Russian net has applied for membership in NATO. Where does NATO stand in all this? And what does a couple new countries trying to get into NATO mean uh, to Russia in reality?
2: Well, Finland and Sweden have applied. Finland is having some difficulties with Turkey. Whether that's resolved or not remains to be seen. It has to be 100% agreement to let anybody in. Uh, Sweden and Finland have applied. And Denmark, they have some kind of unique agreement with the EU regarding defensive uh, positions. Well, they've now walked away from their, their position. They're now arming themselves and getting ready. What's happened is, is Putin has scared them. They didn't want to get involved in NATO. They didn't want to, they just wanted to have everything go along to get along. And now it's backfiring on him. He's actually now uh, getting people to see that there's a danger here. Germany is going to start rearming again. They're going to start apparently going to start uh, sending more arms to Ukraine is this whole business about uh, he was uh, had to protect russia against nato that's nonsense nato was created as a defensive organization against russian aggression with stalin and mm-hmm. it was valid a valid position because uh, his aggression was was clearly obvious to the most casual observer so he knows nato has no desire to challenge him. If anything, all these European powers would love to have had him actually become part of the community of nations and get rid of all this aggression, all this military uh, clabber, and stop intimidating people. And everybody just have trade and everybody get along. The only thing he had to fear about NATO was if these countries belonged to NATO, he couldn't attack them. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes out. It was not a matter of them attacking him. It's a matter of him being able to attack them. And that's what it all comes down to. When I see these really supposedly intelligent people justifying his action because NATO quote unquote violated their agreement, that agreement was with the Soviet Union. It wasn't with Russia, one. And two, the reality is how can one country be tied whatever all these other countries are going to do to defend themselves? The other side of this is there's a sidebar to this that I think anyhow is a potential is let's suppose nobody's allowed to join NATO. What's to prevent them from creating their own defense posture? Finland, Sweden, uh, Ukraine, uh, Austria, Hungary, all create, uh, Greece, all create a defensive organization similar to NATO, and they let the NATO members join them. I mean, there's there's always ways around it all.
1: Tell me a little more about Russian agriculture. I've spent a lot of my life, Rich, working in agriculture with farmers throughout the United States. And so I get a lot of newsletters about what's going on with the various grains being harvested coming out of the Ukraine. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, that Ukraine is one of the major breadbaskets of the world. And what I'm reading is they're still harvesting and shipping a good deal of grain out of the Ukraine. Their biggest problem has been the shipping aspects, allowing uh, ships to go through filled with, with grain. What can you tell us about the reality of the role Ukraine is playing in American, in, in world
2: agriculture today? I have to tell you, that whole thing I find confusing. And the, re- the reason why is uh, when the Russians went in there, they destroyed so much farmland. They stole all the gasoline. They even stole the farm equipment. So now, unless they're doing a lot of harvesting out of western, uh, the western part of the country, I don't know how that's happening. I have not really followed it entirely, except for knowing that the Russians have done a tremendous amount of damage to their agricultural potential. Because if you don't have the, the tools, you can't do the job. So if they're doing it over in western, western Ukraine, I applaud them because they're really working under adverse conditions to get that done. But I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how much of that is so.
1: I urge our audience to check out our article on the Ukraine and see the links that uh, we have put in to retired Army General Mikhail Kordoronic's testimony about Putin in the war that appeared on 60 Minutes a week or so ago, and then his complete uh, change of heart two days later. Obviously, I'm sure they threatened to eliminate him and may eliminate him anyway, What is your knowledge of what was really a a bombshell when he criticized everything that Russia was uh, doing with the Ukraine? He is a retired Army uh, general, and as far as we know, he told it like it really was or is on the uh, TV show 60 Minutes, and a couple days later, he recanted. What could you tell us about that, Rich?
2: Well, I think it's insightful because we've gone along hearing Putin is blaming all of his generals for misinformation, but he surrounded himself with yes-men, sycophants, and flunkies that they were not going to tell him what he didn't want to hear. Now we know somebody did tell him what he, want, what ne- he needed to hear. He didn't want to hear it. Uh, recently, I saw a um, a thing about uh, Japan, trying to think what the name of that era I think it's called the Sengoku period of Japanese history. They had had like 100, 150 years of civil war. They butchered one another forever. And they finally came under the rule of one guy. And he had all these warlords and all these warriors sitting around doing nothing. So he decides he's going to attack China. They send messengers to the king of Korea saying, listen, we're going to attack China. We want to come through Korea. We, We want you to let us. And he said, no. It outraged them. So they attacked Korea. And initially they had this big success, but they were so brutal. They butchered all these civilians, men, women, and children. And what ended up happening was there were all these little civilian armies that were created, and they started butchering all these Japanese troops until they pushed them back to where they primarily landed. But he didn't want to hear that His uh, warlords were afraid to tell him that they were losing. They had to give up. And they didn't leave until after he did the country a favor and dropped dead. And all these warlords said, hey, let's get out of here. We've had enough of this. But the point was, when you're the leader and you refuse to hear what's actually going on and the real potentials, disaster follows. And that's what's happened here. We now know somebody did tell him the truth. He didn't want to hear it. It's not, uh, are the generals at fault? Well, if you surround yourself with generals who are afraid to tell you the truth, well, that's that's a shared responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. I just add to what Jay was saying. This particular army officer, Mikhail Khodaryanok, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, he actually warned Putin before they invaded as well. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just in May. And he told them this is going to be a disaster because the Ukrainians will fight to the death. Exactly. And, they are, and they're well armed they could potentially have a million-man army. So, I mean, he was warned, Putin was warned before the invasion, too.
2: And, well, he, apparently he smartened up because then he found out that if he didn't go along to get along, he wasn't going to get along at all.
1: Yeah, he recanted the truth, obviously, uh, a couple of days later, hoping to survive. <laughs> uh, only time will tell whether he actually does survive. mm mm-hmm. I'm in contact with uh, folks in uh, Germany, and there has been a major change that I read about and hear about in Europe in general. Uh, more cohesiveness. The war in Ukraine has kind of brought them together. Uh, I see it as a, you know, a potential positive for all of Europe when all this is over. Uh, how has Europe changed since the war began, in, in, in your opinion? Again, I'm
2: going to break out in hives. There's actually been an upside to this, is the Europeans, uh, not re- let me phrase that, the world, Europe and the world has now realized <clears throat> that all this globalism is now turning into a disaster. They realize they can't rely on uh, foreign powers for their, necess- for their needs. Uh, Europe is going to start abandoning their green initiatives regarding energy and I think agriculture mm-hmm. is going to have to start, you know, they, uh, this idea that they can go back to 17th century agriculture and feed the world is baloney. This mm-hmm. idea that they can, uh, they can generate sufficient energy through, uh, windmills and, and solar panels is nonsense. Germany plays the role, but the reality is they're able to tap into the new power, uh, that's generated in France. We're starting to see this is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, These supply chains are being disrupted. They can't rely on it. And the other thing, and I'm kind of a little snotty about this. I predicted five years ago that at some point, all this stuff going on in the world is going to force American companies to come back to America. And sure enough, (laughs) the combination of this COVID, Putin's war, the uh, aggression with the the, uh, Chinese and the Russians is now going to starting to drive companies back to the United States for stability. We're Mm -hmm. going to start using our own resources. We're going to start manufacturing it here. And the reality is, is the uh, whole concept of globalism is starting to unravel and rightly so because it has to be, globalism has to be founded as with a solid foundation where everybody can trust everybody else. And now we know, that's simply not true.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I find kind of astonishing is that many of the leaders in Europe are saying that the problems with Russian gas and not wanting to use it demonstrates how we have to move over to green, renewable wind and solar power. I no. mean, surely that's the exact opposite of the rational conclusion.
2: <laughs> well, they're, they're, apparently they, they realize that that's not, that's not going to work. And I tell you, it still comes down to this. This is all a large degree of the responsibility for this belongs to Biden. Not only were we energy independent before he became president, we were selling energy to Europe. Mm -hmm. If now he abandons all of that, we don't have enough energy to supply our own energy needs. We're begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to supply oil. And as a result, we can't sell oil to Europe Europe is now stuck between a rock and a hard place regarding energy. They're going to have to see new new ways of doing these things. They're now building uh, facilities in Europe to uh, bring in liquid uh, natural gas, presumably from the United States. Uh, So they're, they're going to have to abandon a lot of ideas they've had in the past. And here's what it comes down to. This huge increase in the cost of energy is what actually funded Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So a large degree of this actually is on the shoulders of Biden and the Biden administration and their abandonment of uh, energy production.
0: Well, also canceling a major pipeline from Canada, of all places, while they would go and talk to Iran and Venezuela.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes you wonder what's wrong with their minds? Uh, it's a, a, a strange, I've often said to people, I says, you know, the, the leftists really are smarter than us. And they goes, why? I says, because for them to believe the things that they say and do is rational requires enormous mental gymnastics. No, I have a very different view and our listeners have
1: probably heard me voice it. I really believe uh, the people behind Putin and I mean, behind uh, Biden are really communists and they hate capitalism and they want to destroy America. And they're doing a very good job of it. But I really have confidence uh, in the American people. And I believe with all the disasters Biden and his uh, puppeteers create every day, a few thousand Americans wake up each morning and realize they made a mistake if they played a a role in voting the Democrats uh, in regardless of how much cheating was done. I look at the midterm elections as a national poll of the intelligence of the American people. I think probably a third of our population are miserable. They hate themselves. They hate the country. They hate capitalism. Uh, They will vote for anything with a D next to their name, because really a D today is a uh, is communism, that's where they're moving. And so I think the national poll that we'll take in November is gonna show that people are aware of the insanity playing out around them and that we will take over the House of Representatives by a huge margin and we'll begin to stop the financial insanity that has been going on for a year and a half because the House is totally in charge of the budget. Thanks good- thank goodness. And they're gonna be able to uh, stop much of what's uh, going on. So as terrible as each day's actions to the Biden administration are, I could not be more optimistic about it's going to begin to come to an end in uh, January of 2023, when we uh, seat uh, a new Congress of the United States.
2: One of my favorite lines is, uh, the price of gasoline is the beginning of wisdom. Because it's it's all about the basics. And uh, once again, if people feel secure, it's remarkable what they can tolerate. But you're right. People don't feel secure. They're looking around and you know who's really upset are retirees because inflation is a cancer that eats up on their ability to survive you know the, if you're a retiree and you're you get you get to a certain age you're not able there's not much you're going to be able to do to supplement your income and now and all these retirement plans are going to start being eaten away by inflation uh, all the cost of uh, medical care is going to skyrocket, cost of transportation, all these things. Inflation is the cancer that eats away the, the uh, muscle and bone of a society. And all of the stuff they're doing is creating all this spending, all this ridiculous things they're doing is literally eating away the flesh and bone of American culture.
0: Can you talk a little bit about where you see the conflict going in the future. I mean, I was reading in some sources that they were speculating the reason that the retired officer, Mikhail Khodoryanok, the reason he was talking about these things the way he was, was they were preparing the Russian public for a withdrawal from the Ukraine.
2: Here's my oversight of the whole thing, my overview of the whole thing, is, one, Russian equipment isn't that good. Russian troops weren't really prepared Russian leadership is incompetent, the Russian officer corps is weak, the people are watching what's going on, and they're upset about that, and in the beginning, I thought Ukraine was going to lose the war entirely, and I'm not so sure about that anymore. I think what, it's all a huge percentage, uh, part of this is all about demographics, uh, manpower, uh, the ability to generate income, and at the beginning of this thing, if he, if Putin had just settled in and taken a couple of areas, he would have gotten away with it. But now it's, that, that's just simply not going to happen, is I think they can actually, R- Russia is capable of losing this war, not entirely, but I think that, I think it's, it's a very real potential that not only will he not be able to gain much ground in after this, and then after this is over with, I think power is going to start draining from him, just like a, pres- a, a second-term president, power drains from him. And I think this is going to continue on, and he may not be around as the leader much longer.
0: If Putin is gotten rid of in one way or another, will that end the war, like do the people who are Arab parents?
2: I think it will. I, I think it will, because they, these people are looking around and are saying, you know what, this is a disaster we're destroying our economy, we're destroying our military, we're destroying our ability to rule this nation, this isn't working. Let's let's stop this foolishness. I think it will because the younger ones, uh, all these people surrounding him are of, of Putin's generation. The younger ones may not, and I, truthfully, I don't know for sure. Uh, this is strictly speculative on my part. I got to believe these younger ones are looking at this and say, hey, this was really stupid. And, if, when, and it's just like the, with that uh, Japanese uh, uh, leader, uh, the, they They says, listen, this was a stupid thing. Let's go back home and forget the whole thing. And I think that's a very real potential. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like one of the keys is to get rid of Putin. Uh, I, I'm inclined to agree is he is now extremely powerful, but you know what? Power can drain away. Uh, dra- it happened with the Soviet union. I, uh, I said one time, uh, I told uh, friends, I says, "What we need to do is to get rid of the EPA," and they laughed. As that's not going to happen, I says, "Well, the Soviet Union collapsed overnight, and it was a lot bigger than the EPA."
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's one thing. Strangely enough, that Biden actually got right. I mean, he was remember he was roundly roundly criticized for saying, "Oh, who will get rid of this man?" You know. Well, actually, it sounds like that is the right
2: approach. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was a big mistake on his part. Uh, that was that was a diplomatic foolishness to say something like that openly. Uh, yeah. But the reality is that the, the conclusion is the right one saying it was stupid. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. exactly. I talk about
1: the puppet masters behind Biden. I think it's clear that I don't think he's written a full sentence in <laughs> any of his executive orders or in any of his speeches. Uh, it's almost like uh, the public is, is accepting of the fact that he's just a doddering old man who's somewhat demented. Who do you think the, uh, the puppet masters are? I can certainly name Obama. I can name George Soros that I think has financed uh, communism throughout the United States. What other interests or people do you think are holding Biden up right now?
2: Hunter, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden says his dad does whatever he tells him. Seriously? Yeah. I I think he's part of the problem. I think his wife is part of the problem. Uh, I think he has surrounded himself with uh, people that are, uh, that dominate him. You know, I I can, I can tell you, if you have trouble thinking quickly, you have tendency not to think at all. And as a result, he just kind of daughters and goes along. But the other part about that is, sure, he, he has senility issues or neurological problems of some kind. But the reality is, he's never been very bright. He's always said a lot of incredibly stupid things. The thing we didn't realize was, was how vicious he is. Is previous to this, he always charmed his way through it. But the reality is, the man never had a real job. Yeah. He never really worked as an attorney. He never, He's his whole life has been politics. And as we've learned over the years, it's been steeped in corruption. I think it was really easy for people that were quicker than him to mold him and uh, send him in a direction that he actually wants to go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to end on that note. I certainly learned a lot about what's going on behind the curtain with Vladimir Putin. And it does sound like Getting rid of Putin is the first step. And I hope that certainly happens. So
2: thanks, Rich, for being on our show today. Well, I I, I always get embarrassed when if someone calls me an expert, that kind of cringe because <laughs> a long time ago, just about the time you think you know everything about something, you find out it doesn't work out that way. Well, so, well you're you're my expert. Okay, we'll settle for that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: great. Well, this is Tom Harris and Dr. Jay Lair signing out from the other side of the story.